Mary Ellis, thank you for um, uh, coming and joining us today. Out of uh, uh, last year, we did um, close to 40. Alex, how many did we do last year? So about 39 or 40 episodes. Uh, never would have thought I'd be doing a second year and having the mayor of city of Monroe, Louisiana, yeah. sitting across the table from me. So I really appreciate your time coming in to uh, just visit with us for a little while. I know we got an election that's coming up, and um, this is going to be for your second term. But I'd like to kind of get a feel behind the scenes of um, how things work and uh, where your passions are at with it. And I'd like to kind of start off from, you know, we talked before we start recording uh, small town Ravel, big uh, city, big city. Yeah. Um, with your time in Monroe, yeah. Reflecting on growing up in Ravel, mm. what did you learn from being in that small town that's helped prepare you for where you're at today? Yeah, that's great, and that's a good perspective. And I and I I think those two are so much more connected than most people would think. Uh, number one, I was raised by a small business owner in my dad. He was a single father who raised me. Uh, and I got to see a community, uh, and when I say community, uh, built on small business. Uh, that was, I think I'm one of the last generations, or we we're one of the last generations to see Rayville with um, mom and pop. Right. Right. Mr. Bubba uh, runs uh, Albert's Menswear, right? Um you, you had uh, the Whitmans that had uh, Glover's Hardware. Um, you had the Boltons who had Delta Sales, right? You, I, can, I can go down that street and tell you everybody who, and their families who own those businesses. Um, and I got to see a sense of community. Uh, I couldn't pedal my bike fast enough if I did something wrong to beat the news back home, right? And probably caught a beating on the way back home from community members because they were <laughs> disappointed in me. And so I saw a village. I truly got to see a village. And I was also a family who, you know, my dad would yell down the hall, put your good clothes on. We're going to Monroe, right? We're going to catch a movie. We're going to go eat dinner. We're going to shop. We're going to do things, right? So um, little did I know at the time that was a regional economy, right? We were, Monroe was dependent upon the workforce of Rabel. Uh, and Rabel was dependent upon um, the being the education hub, the workforce hub, you know. So our families go and work there and find opportunity there, uh, whether you're a plumber and you're getting business in Monroe or whatever it may be that you supported your family. Monroe was always that place that you would go find opportunity. And so reflecting on that, I find that no matter where I travel across this country, uh, no matter what city that you're in, all of our problems are scalable, whether you live in a city of 2,000 right. or a city of 20,000 or 200,000. All of our issues are scalable. Of course, um, you know, I look at these larger cities and I would love to have the staff that they have and this, that, and the other. But there's nowhere that I would rather be than in Monroe at this time. Um, uh, as as being a product of someone who was a small business owner, I got to see my dad and uh, he didn't have customers. He had family and people who traded with him, as he called it. You know, um, I saw the relationships that were built there. Uh, still to this day, I can I can go places in Monroe and follow up with people and do, you know, welfare visits or whatever, uh, health and welfare visits as I travel and talk to residents. People remember my father, uh, sold him furniture, sold him a car, and they remember him as a person, right, um, and the way he made them feel. And so that was a big 
in, inspiration in my life, and he was a big influence in my life. And I, I saw, I had a great, great example of a father who raised me uh, as he walked it like he talked it, right? Um, and so, and people who remembered that, and that left a big impression upon me. Um, and that's big shoes to fill nowadays. We have um, <clears throat> so many, so much more distractions that are in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that pull us away from those intimate moments with yeah. our kids. Yeah. Um, you know, I just train total transparency, you know, as a father of two young girls and, and an older daughter, um, it's easy to get in that rut of life. And with all the distractions that we have to start, you know, checking boxes, Hey, you know, we kind of mm-hmm. did that, but, but remembering back when things were a little less complicated, a little more simpler, uh, going back to that, the problems that we have today are not as big as what we think they are. Mm-hmm. Is sometimes yeah. if we just take a time to get back into that relationship with our with our kids, that mm-hmm. relationship within our community. Mm-hmm. You know, I think back to the times where the uh, Picking and Ginning Festival was a <laughs> big time. Man, there, you talk about a community um, that would just everybody came out. I mm-hmm. mean, it was just the thing to do, and it yeah. it brought a lot of business into that community. It did. But just the community atmosphere of that small town. Yeah. Um, I didn't grow up in that, but I had some friends, uh, some close friends that um, that lived that life, and yeah. they exposed me to some of that. We think of uh, Monroe being a big city versus small town Ravel. We're still small town Monroe, West yeah. Monroe, compared to the rest of the country. Yeah. And a lot of those same principles could still apply here today mm-hmm. if we just kind of take the time to yeah, uh, nurture those relationships, you know, because it is about relationships. Mm-hmm. So when you um, uh, graduated, um, I think I read that you went into the Marines shortly after graduation for the first time, and you kind of had a mishap. Can yeah. you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, I played sports, and so I had – um, torn MCL. Um, also, I've had a ton of damage to my knees, and I had these bone spurs that just got shaved off. Uh, and of course, I wanted to join the Marine Corps, and SATCOM was my, the deal I wanted to go. Don't ask me why. <laughs> Maybe that was the hot thing that was they were pushing at the time. And uh, so I got a medical waiver to go into boot camp. Uh, to go into boot camp minus my recovery time. Well, my knee kept swelling up on me at boot camp. Put me in medical rehabilitation platoon, and I could just never finish that mi- that three mile physical uh, performance. So they sent me back home uh, to get rehabbed. And when I got back home, you know, um, you got to get back to work. Um, Went to ULM for a little bit. Um, Really just was one of that. We didn't have tops. So we were that generation of people that had to not only carry a job, uh, but actually go to school as well. Um, My father was having some health issues, um, hard time paying bills. And so I had to go to work. That's what you do to take care of your own, right? Yeah. So I had to go to work, move back home with him. Um, not that he needed care. It's just that, you know, wanted to be around your father. Sure. And, uh, wind up uh, meeting my wife, Ashley, working in the mall, you know, uh, and then um, having that relationship and building that relationship and um, really got married. And then just months after, um, as we all understand the, the events of 9-11, yeah. Um, and changed a lot of people, changed a lot of people. And at the time there was just that call that you're, I mean, you remember that everybody felt like that there was something that they could do. And, um, the, my calling was, is to, to join, join the Marine Corps. Now I went back on a promise I gave Ashley's dad. Uh, so he's like, whatever you do, just don't take her away from me. And sure enough, you know, a few months later, here I am boarding a plane, 
uh, off to Paris Island to go to boot camp. And then when we were done, we were all over the country and, um, you know, um, spent my time in the Marine Corps, came back home. Um, and then it was, what do we do now? And then my life took us all around the country. We spent some time in Kansas City. Uh, my wife got recruited up there for a small school district, uh, came back home uh, to Monroe uh, to take care of Ashley's mother. Um, and um, it was probably the best decision we ever made. Gave us that time with her mother, um, you know, gave me uh, that time with my father. And then uh, it was just, uh, it, I'm telling you, it was probably one of the best decisions that we made. And, it, you know, um, then it was like, what do I do at that point? What, what is it that I always wanted to do? And I looked at it as an opportunity and said, what are we missing here and what am I passionate about? And cigars was the thing, you know, super passionate about cigars. I think if you're a cigar enthusiast, you've always wondered what it would be like to open your own shop. And my wife gave me the ultimate uh, uh, question, well, how are we going to pay for it? And so the only thing I knew how to do was use my skills. And I said, well, I can make a lot of money on Pipeline. So I took off working Pipeline, uh, drew up a small business plan on a, not a napkin, but a, a little folder and uh, said, I want a year's worth of expenses. And that's what I want to hit. And when I hit that, I'm out and I'm coming back home and starting you know, my cigar shop. And sure enough, I saved, slept on an air mattress in an apartment uh, surrounded by a bunch of people from Oak Grove. We were up in uh, uh, Lancaster, Ohio. Uh, saved all my money back up to start a start a business. And I'm telling you, how long uh, did you work on the pipeline? Probably five, six months. You know, probably long enough. Yes, I mean, you. My only luxury was on the on one Sundays uh, when we weren't working on Sundays, and um, I would go into Columbus, Ohio, go to the tinderbox have a cigar, or I may go to Jay Alexander's and have a steak, you know, and then finish with a cigar after I'm done and then get back uh, to Lancaster and then go to bed and get back to work the next day. Wow. Uh, missed my family. You know, you talked about getting busy. That was the first time in my life that I missed hmm. football. You know, I remember FaceTiming my kid while I'm out on the pipeline Had while he's getting ready, yeah. while he's getting ready to go play a game. Um you know, and, and come back home, being a small business owner, had all the flexibility in the world to do what I wanted to do. But even as mayor, this is the first time since I've been back home and being a pr small business owner that I've missed a track, you know, meet, or I've missed a football game. Uh, I really try to prioritize things. There are some things that I've missed with the city. I've missed council meetings because my son's having a playoff game. But I think it's very important that, that my family – comes first. My faith and my yeah. family come first. And I think most people who are parents understand that. Uh, and they'll give you a little grace knowing that I've got three kids. And um, But that's one thing I've always prioritized was family. You know? Talked about opening governors and kind of breeze right over that. But strictly outsider looking in, so you correct me if I'm wrong here on Go my ahead. observation. Um, number one, I tried to uh, get into the uh, the cigar thing. I yeah. wanted it to work so bad. But it just <laughs> wasn't wasn't for me. And I'll yeah. tell you why I wanted to uh, to try it. And what I saw when you opened Governors Outsider, strictly looking in, is that you were selling cigars, but you were also selling a lifestyle. Yeah. A, the cigar was a, a transaction. A yeah. Community. Yeah. A uh, and I talked with. And the thing that kept wanting to pull me in were my customers that I would talk to. Yeah. And it's the it it blew me away on the 
the social background each one of these people came from. It, yeah. That really kind of caught me off guard. Not to say that um, I had a massive preconceived notion, but when you think cigar, you mm. think something quality, you start thinking um, status. You start thinking, uh, and I think that, that my mind went where normal people's mind would have gone. That That's high society yeah. you know, for those people. But what you find out is people that want some quality, want good conversation, mm-hmm. they want a community. And we're talking about from guys that are turning wrenches yeah. to the guys that are putting on three-piece suits every day. Yeah. Neurologists, mechanics. I mean, is, that, is that a good assault? Absolutely. Anybody that's in the world of cigars. And this is, I think that's right, and I'm glad that you brought us back here because I think that's was, I think it was pivotal in my time here in Monroe and my involvement in community because uh, that's what we did build there. The cigar was always a transaction. Sure. Right? But what we sold was connection, friendships, uh, there were tons of businesses that were launched there out of Governors. Uh, you think about Two Warriors Meadery. Wow. Um, those guys were sitting in there talking about, you know, they were small batching out of their living room, right? You know, a passion of theirs that launched. At the time, I wouldn't say it launched out of my shop, but uh, we had they were really good customers of mine was Flying Tiger Brewery was happening at the time, and we would host, you know, little pop-up events for them to help them get their name out and do what they're doing. Of course, it took a whole lot of work and passion to do what they wanted to do, but I saw that in my community, and I saw people, something was something was organic was happening, and it was all due to people and their creative talents, putting them into work here in Monroe and creating this unique experience Um all around, like Corey Barr, Chef Corey Barr was happening. You know, all the coffee shops were popping up. These breweries were popping up. These boutiques were popping up. Artists and artisans were all coming together and creating this great environment. And and I saw the potential in what we had in Monroe. Um, and the question always came when it was time to run for office was, well, what does a cigar shop owner know about running the biggest, one of the biggest businesses within the city? What they did was they discounted that I had one-hour conversations over a year of six, uh, a period of six years, to get to know people on a on a level and them to know me. Yeah. Right. We built a relationship and they knew me, um, and those relationships mattered when it came time to run for office for people to put their faith in you. Um, you know, we always look for things like electability, but what I find is, uh, you know, things that are you, are you electable. But that all comes down to your core character traits and do they align with family members here. I got to hear people about their small business. They got to hear about our family. And we, you know, look, if what first thing you notice when you come into Governor's, there's not a TV on the wall. That was one of the few cigar shops that don't have TVs on the wall because you're either going to get into sports or politics, and mm-hmm. eventually those two things are going to make you mad. <laughs> and so we kind of kept it to just let's let's build our relationships around conversation. Um, and we built a community. Uh, and when people, when it was time for me to run for office, I think that's when people – saw the type of person I was, saw the vision that I had for Monroe, uh, and they were the people to go out and, and beat the streets for us. You know, they went out knocking doors and uh, had testimony for us, and it was, here's what I do know, is we, you know, we resonated with everyone in this community, and we resonated with people from all over this region because um, no matter what, if you were to put a ballot out there to say all the things that you want from your community, put them out there, if they're your, if they were your top five, I guarantee you four of them would be aligned everywhere around the city. They may be in a different order of importance, but they are all the same things uh, in your community. You know, you want you want safe communities, you want quality schools, right? You want opportunity, um, you want a great quality of life here. Um, 
And if, you know, what I'm very proud of in our, in our four years that all of our strategic planning has been around those things, right? Well, the, the thing that I find most curious and would like to know mm-hmm. <clears throat> is why. Mm. So I'm, I'm sitting back looking. I had it good. Family guy. Family <laughs> uh-huh. guy. Yeah. You've yeah. Um, very, very well-established business. Yeah. Um, Sold it, too, when I got elected. <laughs> but I'm sure making making your own hours. Yep. Um, yeah. A very accomplished wife. Yep. That, I mean, when I started kind of preparing for this and I'm yeah. looking – at everything that she has accomplished, I'm yeah. like, holy cow! Yeah, what is it with this family? I mm-hmm. mean, y- you went from a day to where you got to and hear other people's mm-hmm. stories, yeah. share stories, <clears throat> be in community, to run for a position mm-hmm. to where there's going to be people against you every single day. Yep, there's going to be people for you every day. Yeah, and tough decisions have yeah. to be made that. Half the people are not going to understand. The other half mm-hmm. are not going to care. Or it's on some percentage level, yeah. you're not going to have people that are going to care. You're going to have people that are very, very passionate about it that want to pat you on the back. But it's, it's you're walking into this this bonfire of different mm-hmm. cultures of people, uh, yep. people that have been established in their roles for years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. It's it's selfish. And we all do it every single day. And we're all selfish. You know why? Because we do what we do for our family. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, I do this for my kids. And when I do this for my kids, that means I do it for everybody's kids. Tell me, tell me why for your kid. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I heard is I'm tired of seeing our kids leave and have to travel around to go visit our kids. Mm. They leave for opportunity. And I started thinking about my own kids and going, where are they going to find their opportunity here in Monroe in this environment? Right. Um, you start thinking about, um, all of them selfishly again, as a small business owner, well, I do this selfishly because I want my business to succeed and to thrive. And therefore, I'm creating an environment where all of my friends' businesses can thrive. I hate the term small business because my small business, I put everything I had into that business. Um, I won't get into the reasons to why I felt it necessary because I saw some challenges. Um, I always try to stay the high road, right? Sure. <laughs> but I knew there was a better way to do business. Uh, I knew there was a better way and and all the things that I kept hearing kept resonating with me as a resident. So that's why I say it was selfish because it was selfish because we all do it for selfish reasons because we want our families to be happy and healthy. You do what you do every single day, not for you. You do it to provide. Sure. Your, Your wife, your family, everybody, we do it to provide for our community and our residents. Everything I did from Garden District block party. We never charged our vendors that were there. We never charged them a vendor fee. I pretty much, between the sponsors and myself, would bankroll that event every single year because I wanted you to come in and show the community what you were doing and show how awesome your product was or whatever it is that you were doing. Get it out there. I'm not charging you a booth fee. Come on, be a part of this. Same way with artists, everything else. Yeah, but Friday, when you got into this, you sold you sold the business. Yes, you're elected. I'm assuming you sold yeah. it after you won the race. Yeah. I didn't want any self-dealing because it, if I go pave a street in front of my business, the first thing they're going to say, it, oh, look at the mayor doing, you know. But yeah. if if I, and 
please correct me if I'm wrong, but I mm-hmm. think that there was a um, city council meeting that got kind of heated and something was said that, you know, and you're not planning on, you know, I'm not, my decision not being based on what I'm going to run on in four years. That's right. We're making the decisions right now. Today. Yeah. So you burned the ship. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't have an exit strategy. Yeah. You were in it for four years. Brother, I, I serve a God who provides. You're all in. Yeah. I serve a God who provides. Um, I look back at all the times my family, I, I mean, my wife and I, even early on, had faced some really extraordinary challenges for a young married couple. You're, here I am signing the dotted line on, to join the Marine Corps, not knowing that signing that dotted line I could be, you know, giving my life for my country. Sure. People were getting shipped left and right, you know, um, but we I've always been driven by doing what's right, not what's popular, by doing what's right. Um, I felt like this move was, and I mean, I had people calling me all the time, well, why don't you just run for city council? You've never done this before. There are a lot of good people who can run for city council, but I just didn't see anybody stepping up to run for mayor that I felt like had the best interest of the city. I, you don't know how many calls I got to say Friday, you know, you, do you know what you're doing? I, I I, did, I was not concerned about that. I was concerned about the health and well-being of this city. And what I understand is this. I understand the team concept. I understand if you build a strong team, you don't do everything. Right. Right. And I understand that there are so many people in our community that have the intellectual capital to help me navigate this change and this challenge, this transition of what I'm doing. Um, my chief operating officer, right, uh, Jimmy Bryant. Man, what an awesome guy. Uh, he's served as our fire chief, brought us to the first uh, of our, our class one rating, uh, was the chief operating officer. I think I'm his third mayor to serve under and couldn't find more solid chief operating officer. My chief legal counsel was Angie Sturdivant, Judge Sturdivant, um, very versed in muni law. Um, my chief financial officer, uh, Stacy Rao, um, I couldn't have asked for a better transition team of people to help stand me up and help me understand and navigate, which I'm still trying to understand municipal government uh, on a level to where we kill this bureaucracy of government, Mm. um, of keeping dollars um, to where they belong, right? And if we can do it legally, ethically, without a, a, a cost to human safety or life or just ethics violations, right? We need to move fast because let me tell you something. You you probably feel it too. Three and a half years, that runway oh. is like that. Dude, and, I mean, every yeah. year it gets shorter yeah. and shorter. Yeah. yeah. So you get elected. Yeah. You don't know everything going into it. There's no way you could know. And no. I, still today, mm-hmm. you got to mm-hmm. still be learning through the process. Nothing will prepare you for this. What, what did you think – what was the one one or two things that you thought could be a simple fix, but when you got into it, you're like, yeah, this ain't going to be a simple fix? Well, I'll tell you. The, let me give you another example, and I'll give you one of those. Um, one, one was the simple thing that cleanliness of our city. We put together a litter crew, period. 100-plus tons of debris have been removed from I-2165, our neighborhoods. That's not including the totals that – Washita Green has helped us with our our um, our other crews and things right. that pick up. This is litter off the sides of our street, and there's still tons out there. 
simple fixed. Like I was always wondering, like, why can't we do that and do it well? And we've done it well. And I think what's happened is now I think, I think people are so used to it being clean now that if they see a piece of litter and they're like, oh, there's litter. They, you know, they recognize it now. Used to, they used to drive by it all the time, and it was just like it's just litter all on Mill Haven, right? <laughs> it was always there, but now it's clean, and if you see a piece of litter, you notice it now. You're like, oh, by the way, right? Um, the other thing that I felt like that was um, that would be a simple fix, but has proven to be more of a, I say, a, a challenge. But we've we've pretty much nipped it in the bud was the permitting process uh, mm. for people trying to build things here. It seems like there was always this stop sign, like we can't do that. Well, instead of, hey, let's slow this down and figure out how we can get you to your ultimate goal or some version of that, you know, that's permitted within our building code or that's permitted within um, what we have. And guess what? If it's broken, let's fix it. Um, that that has been a, a big challenge because I think there's a lot of things that, there are our own internal policies that had to change. And then there's that process of making that move. But I do believe, you know, and not to get too weird on you here, but the Japanese have a term called Kaisan, which is means continual evolvement and, and, and improvement. And I think that's what we should always do. To be looking for those key performance indicators in whatever we do, is it working? Because if it's not, why are we continuing to do it? And guess what? If I try something and it's not working, don't mean it's not bro. It don't mean it's not fixable. Let's figure out something new to try, and start working that. But you have to have that feedback loop. Oh yeah, absolutely. From your people to know if it's working. Or so not. where do you feel like uh, if you're grading the city on the permitting process, where kind of sounds like we're in the D and F before? Yeah. Where do you feel like we're at now? I think we're like at a C plus, borderline B. Uh, there's a lot that has to happen. Um, I think that. And, and the reason I say that is because um, there's still more work to be done. Um, I think we've made some strides when it comes to our contractor meetups. We do quarterly real estate meetups, mm-hmm. uh, small business meetups, things like that, that we're getting that information and still shifting and adapting. I think ultimately there are some things that I want to do um, um, as far as staff goes to help move that along. I think it, I think it's more now policy is in place i think now it's time to staff up to meet the needs of where we are right uh let's just take engineering for for an example you know morgan McAllister's our new engineer he's been here two years man what an aw- what an awesome guy uh and we're getting that feedback from our contractors morgan needs help morgan needs a project manager right he needs another project but that's manager. good to hear yeah. if he's got projects need to be managed mm-hmm. that means that we're, we're having growth he's not managing yeah. Us yeah. things that are not growing. Oh, no. So we, we're running a $420 million capital program right now, probably 48 projects that are in the queue. We're probably juggling that are turning dirt right now, about 18 of those throughout the city. Before we get into that dirt, yeah. I want to backtrack a yeah, little come bit on. to um, cleanliness of our city. Yeah. Um, preparing for... For this conversation, mm-hmm. I, you know, had the privilege to uh, talk to uh, a few city employees um, and just ask them questions. I mean, they didn't know why I was asking. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's what do you see working? What's what's working for us? And you know, the 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 answer I got the most was, we have walkable sidewalks where <laughs> we didn't. 
and we have a cleaner city. We, yeah. we, we need to be better than where we're yeah. at, yeah. but it's cleaner today than it's been in mm-hmm. my lifetime. Yeah. And we have sidewalks that yeah. I never knew were there that we just need to scrape the grass off of them. And yeah. there's new sidewalks that are going in yeah. that actually make sense on how people want to walk. Yeah. So I just want to pass mm-hmm. that on to you. That, yeah. That people notice or starting to notice that, that it's a, those quality of life things mm. matter. Yeah. I mean, they matter an awful lot. I'll tell you this. So if, uh, and I want to plug one row dot city, one row, O-N-E-R-O-E dot city. That is where all of the strategic planning for the city of Monroe lives right now from a quality of life basis through parks and recreation, master planning, uh, through the downtown strategic planning, which all of these stuff, they're turning, all the plans are turning dirt right now. So it's nothing that sits on a shelf and collects dust. Let's just say that. Um, from a regional music strategy, we partnered up with Sound Diplomacy from the UK who put Texas's music strategy together. Wow. Right? Monroe is a music city in their portfolio because we have to understand what our regional market can handle. Sure. Who are, we're not Atlanta. We're not Dallas. We're not, we, we don't have the capacity to handle those type shows. So with that, we bring in content experts to help us, and it lives there, right? It tells you what our regional economy, what music and art brings to our regional economy. It puts real dollars to what that dumps into our, our, our creative but economy. But I think that that's what we've needed for quite some time, and mm-hmm. that is going to be understanding who or what our identity really is. Yes, we can't we can't <laughs> be that person that's going to go out and say, hey, yeah. we need to have a Costco here. Mm-hmm. We need to have this big box store and this one yeah. here. I mean, we yeah. just don't we don't have the. Oh, if I get a if I get a we need a Trader Joe's here once uh, I could be self-funded if everybody, if I had a dollar every time I heard that. But it, it, a, a quick Google search will show you just to go to their. Hey, want a Trader Joe's? The bare minimum that you need as far as population yeah. base. Here's the other thing. Right, your average income for family needs to be at like fifty thousand dollars a year. And we, we don't meet that. We don't. And so ultimately, we the work that we're doing is setting the foundation to bring in opportunity to provide those opportunities for that disposable income uh, to grow that population sure. base. And and so what's interesting, we started talking about some of these these projects. Um. Again, I, I, I'm not here to do what's popular. I'm here to do what is right. Everybody loves sexy projects above ground, right? They love right. seeing things, sticks going in the air, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, if I'm getting ahead of you, let me know. No, I can slow no, it so, down. So let, yeah. me, let me slow you down you there. Yeah. And, and I'm going to tee you up for this one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that comes to, down to we only have so much money. Mm-hmm. The budget is only so big. Yep. And you – as the leader of the city, you have to come up with a plan, and I'm sure city council has to approve that plan. Yeah. But it, but it's on it's on your back to come up yeah. with it and your team to come up with yeah. that plan. And like you said, not everything is sexy, but it has yeah. to be done. In real estate, everything has to start with sewer. Yeah, or if, water. Or water, utilities, yeah. infrastructure. If yeah. you can change the value of a piece of property yes, based on its access to utilities yep and sewer is a big one and people it's not something they people want to think about it's not something they ever want to think about but until it backs up in your home that's correct (laughs) so i know a lot of this infrastructure Mm -hmm. money that we're spending and i know that there's grants that we can apply for and we get some federal help Uh, i know Mm -hmm. um, our congresswoman has been very instrumental in pulling money into our region that's right um 
but talk about mm-hmm. what infrastructure really means to not only maintaining what we already have, mm-hmm. but for future growth. All right, take what you said. Now, go back three years and remember we were in the middle of COVID. That businesses were being shuttered. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what the next two, three years would look like as far as sales tax generating issues, right? Like we didn't know what that would. So we forecasted and we budgeted very conservatively. And this is why we didn't have to furlough workers either, right? So we, this was an interesting time to take over in the middle of a global pandemic, right? Amidst two natural disasters, yeah. clean up from another Easter tornado and a week-long ice storm. I was just hoping that the people didn't think that was God's wrath on the people for electing me as mayor. But very challenging times when it came to budget. How do you forecast, right? What we did know and what we what I got to know even on a more grand scale was just the level of decay that our underground infrastructure looked like from flood, um, from storm drains to sewer. Uh, it was bad. Um, the one issue that, in my opinion, has impeded economic growth and quality housing stock, especially in areas that need it, was the Texas standard for trunk line. Our city has three major trunk lines that carry sewer all the way to our sewer treatment plant, one of which was clogged for over 9,000 feet. Been this way for 17, 15, 15 16 years. So when you say clog, I mean completely or just maybe it barely 10, had, per, 10% yeah. was coming through it? Maybe 10% was coming through it. And so anytime somebody wanted to develop, they would have to go in and calculate the load on that line to figure out whether we can handle that load. It ran under 28 homes uh, and uh, an elementary school. Uh, it was on the verge of collapse. And... What we do know is if an economic development prospect comes in and says, hey, we need this amount of water, if you can't give them a will-serve letter for sewer, they're going to move on and go to somebody else. Sure. Not, hey, give us two years to fix this issue. We were dead in the water. Um, it was a struggle for our economic development team to uh, – because we there were RFPs that we fielded at that time that were looking for capacity. They moved on. Um, it was just a matter of time before that capacity. That's, before, the, that's very disheartening to be able to hear, knowing that we've got somebody that wants to invest in our community, mm-hmm. yeah. but we don't have the capability for mm-hmm. them to invest. Or quality housing stock. What if so we have a we have a development that was looking to build in District 4 that we couldn't give them a will serve letter at the time. We could say, yeah. So we were sitting there going, okay, how long is it going to take you to build out this residential area? And we're sitting there like reverse engineering this thing to see how much progress we can, we think we can make to give them the capacity that they needed to, to do this. So we called Congresswoman Letlow, uh, told her staff about it, put in for what they call community development funding. They pull it from different federal buckets to help us fund this. Um, she provided $4 million uh, to this project. Uh, those American Rescue Plan dollars went to this as well, uh, and some of our capital infrastructure dollars went to this as well. I can tell you that they've phase one is done. They've cleaned the line. Uh, phase two is happening where they found areas what needed what they call point repairs, so they're going in and doing this cured-in-place pipelining. Mm-hmm. It's a sock liner that goes yeah. in, and it creates a, stru- a brand-new yeah, structure inside of it. Pretty impressive when you yeah. see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so now, and when we talk about quality of life, 
the residents who lived there, whenever there was high amounts of rain and you would get inflow and infiltration from storm from uh, from water into the sewer system, because all of our old pipes are, you know, you know, they'll get that in storm and our uh, our uh, manholes would receive this as well. But um, people would have sewer backup in their homes. and It was just like a way of life. Sad. Right. Yeah. Sad. It's really sad way of life. Yeah, it's really sad. So that was one of our major issues uh, that we did. Uh, obviously that we attacked and addressed. The other one was we had a water treatment plant that had been planned for years to, to, to move forward. But for one reason or another, it just didn't move forward. And every time a project doesn't move forward, the gap in funding grows. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing. Here's the other thing. Anytime, anything after 2020, after the pandemic, with park supply shortages, record inflation, labor shortages, your services continued. Yeah. Right. And you have to take you, anything you move post 2020, you add 30 percent, 40 percent on top of it for mm. bids being received. So there was a huge gap in our water treatment plant to even bring it online. Um, we were a lot of folks don't know this either. We were that was a 40-year design for our water treatment plant that we were like in year 54. Wow. Think about this. If there was a critical error or malfunction in that, we would have had to shut the train down and make those repairs. So what's happening, so we moved that project forward, passed it through council, um, and now the new train is running. People haven't noticed the switch. The new train's up and running, and guess what they're doing to the old train now? making repairs. So now we've doubled the capacity of water. Now we're, we're making moves economic through economic development um, to where we can supply water or heaven forbid another week long freeze happens and pipes are bursting throughout the sure. city and it can, it, it can meet the demand of pressure when that, when that pressure drops through leaks. And so right. um, a lot of unsexy work that people aren't seeing. Oh, Oh, the other, Oh, one of our, one of, our, of the other lines, our sewer treatment lines, the Hadley Street, was in need of repair for ages. And we wound up making that repair for the Hadley line as well as another $4 million project. I have to see some of y'all's uh, pictures. I don't know which one it was that y'all posted. Brother, it is. It is. And it, even it's. But I, but I think it's necessary for people to be able to see that, mm-hmm. even though it's not sexy to talk about. Yeah. We, people need to know it because it's not part of daily life for them. We just flush the commode and mm-hmm. expect it to work every single time right. and don't realize that right. there's a process that has to be maintained. Yeah. And if you don't put any attention to it for 15, 20, 30, 40 years, yeah. you're going to be left in shambles because if we don't have good utilities, nobody's going to live here. Nobody yeah. wants to live here. I sure as heck don't want to be in a position where I have to accept that sewer backing up in my house mm-hmm. is just the norm and I deal with it. Well, and even not just on a, on a residential level. Sewer and water are the basics of economic development. Yep. You can't provide them sewer. You can't provide them water. You are dead in the water. Yes. Seriously, you are, you're not going anywhere. There's nothing you can do for because it. Because site selectors, when they come in your city, they're looking to disqualify you. They're looking at all the reasons to disqualify you and get down to the two to three sites that, that they can put sticks in the air the fastest. This is speed to market. So because people go, well, you know, we've got a. We've got a river, we've got interstate, we've got 165, we've got an airport, 
got all these things, but guess what? I can name you 20 other communities along I-20 okay. that have the same thing that are so much more ready to develop. And so when I said when we took office, it felt like everybody else that we would visit were so much further along. We would, And when we talk about visiting communities, we didn't go visit Austin, Texas. Yeah, so I want to talk about that visiting communities. Yeah. How important mm-hmm. is it mm-hmm. to have relationships outside mm-hmm. of Monroe? And not just Monroe, but Washtenaw Parish, West Monroe, regionally, state, nationally. Mm-hmm. How important is it for the mayor to be working constantly on those relationships? <laughs> it's it's crucial. Um, most, if not all, of your federal funding applications, um, if you can show that your project has a larger impact than just your community, if it shows a regional collaboration, you score higher on the rubric, rubric and it shows that your communities are working together. Mayor Mitchell in West Monroe has been a great partner. I've enjoyed watching her work. I've enjoyed seeing some of the planning that they're doing. And we've done, if y'all haven't known, we have done a lot of planning together on these type of projects. Broadband was one of them. We entered into a cooperative endeavor into West Monroe with West Monroe uh, to enter into a contract with Technology for Rural America to help us with our broadband expansion. And we're both ready to unroll those projects right now. Ours is actually out for RFP right now for a fiber to home project. Um, the other one was brownfield cleanups. And so we partner with them to, to look for money that's out there to clean up some of our brownfield projects in our downtown cores, right? Um, but regional collaboration is key. Um, I think they're even with Ruston, because you think about this, we're always competing against Baton Rouge and New Orleans, right? Right. We always have to punch above our weight class. Sure. And so when we can show a regional impact and regional collaboration on things um, like, you know, such as watershed, we can get funded easier. We can show that there's a greater, a broader impact because as the way I say it, our whole watershed is a huge bowl in Washtenaw Parish. You think of Young's Bayou as the drain. If the drains clog south of us, it doesn't matter what we do up here. That's correct. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. And if we can partner with neighboring parishes to build a much grander and larger scale project, it's more likely to be funded. Um, and it just shows collaboration. And it benefits us all. Yes, because I could promise you, um, it, if a job lands in the parish, our people will work there. If a job lands in the city, somebody from the parish can fill that as well. Yep. We are so dependent upon one another through labor shed, through our— yeah, I mean, all the way out through the Delta going to the, towards Mississippi River, all the way down I-20, it's— uh, the more we're able to work together, we all benefit. Our labor shed statistics tell us that we have people driving in from Alexandria, um, all the way from West Mississippi, South Arkansas, to come fill jobs here in Monroe. So we have to govern regionally as well right. as govern locally. But talk about going on a national level. I know I've seen you um, have trips to Washington and across the country. How important it is it for um, – you to be there with with other mayors, with our uh, state and federal leadership. That's yeah. um, our political offices. I mean, what does that mean to our city for you to be actively engaged? Yeah. So we just there. There's around 1.3 trillion reasons to be in Washington. <laughs> it's the IIJA spending bill. 
And the way I see it is, you know, it's kind of like a job interview, right? When you apply, it's like an application. If I just turn in my application, the chances of you calling me back are very slim. But if I turn in my application and I set the appointment to go talk to whoever it is that's hiring and we give that face-to-face interview, there's a better chance for you to get funded. Uh, prime example, we were in Washington, D.C. this past December, uh, well, this past January, and we met with the Undersecretary of Commerce about fiber projects we've got going on and a raise grant, which is actually on the council tonight. It's a raise grant, $25 million project on the South Second Corridor enhancement that we're doing to help with uh, uh, ADA accessibility, mobility, mm-hmm. uh protected bike walking and biking trails. The undertest secretary said, I just want you to know that I took this meeting because it's very rare that you have a sitting mayor, council members, a university, and, you know, other people in your community here. Um, The undersecretary is very familiar with our projects, um, called out a few things. We were there. The benefit cost analysis is what we were really there for because mid-city markets get beat up because we don't get scored like bigger cities do. Sure. So we're asking to be graded on a curve. Uh, But um, they gave some great advice to us. um, But they were talking about how impressive it is to see these cities here because they rarely come up. And and I get it. Sometimes it's the bigger cities do it. But also you have to go and build the relationships within these divisions and departments. They have representatives on the state level that we meet with. And then you move up because those folks are usually on the call with us or Skyping in when we're at these meetings. But it's very important. It's like Amtrak. Amtrak is a prime example. We knew that the Southern Rail Commission has been looking to redo the Meridian to Marshall Speedway, as as I call it, to connect Atlanta, eventually to connect Atlanta to Dallas. For 30 years, they've been trying. But guess what? The IIJA loaded up $66 billion into FRA's budget to move passenger rail expansion. This was one of the very few federally supported routes that actually cash flowed. And so it was probably going to be very important that we're at the table. So I got together and said, hey, um, got an engineering firm on board to help us build this application. The engineering firm we picked was successful in building multiple applications. So you want to pick a winner. Sure. Um, And they already had these, these relationships built with these departments. And so got them together, uh, working with Southern Rail Commission, Transportation for America, and coalesced mayors from across I-20 all the way into Vicksburg, Mayor Flags, Mayor Walker and Ruston, Mayor Arsenault and Shreveport. Four days into his term, I called him and said, hey, I need you to put join this application. I'm sure he was sweating bullets. Uh, but we all came together and we, get, we started, you know, lobbying everybody on Capitol Hill from everybody from uh, uh, members from Texas. Mississippi, Louisiana, telling them the benefits of this, right? Uh, fortunately for us, three rank, three ranking Republicans broke ranks and voted for IJA. That's Senator Cassidy, uh, Hyde Smith, and Wicker in Mississippi. And so they've been big champions of this as well. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Senator Hyde Smith um, came all the way from Mississippi and sat a whole day with us here in Louisiana in one of our I-20 rail convenings. And guess what? We are some of the, and guess what? Through that application, Amtrak asked to join our application. Wow. And it's because you cannot sit back and wait on investment to come to you. You have to be aggressive about it. You, uh, me as the mayor, I am the chief 
cheerleader, chief ambassador of my city. And the way I look at things is not why, but why not, right? Uh, John Robert Smith talked about us as mayors and said, you know, Mayor Ellis and these other mayors, they said they don't know what they can't accomplish, and that's what makes them dangerous, right? But shouldn't that be the way that we attack life in general? Yes. I mean, <laughs> if if you go with a poverty mindset that there's no way we can do this, so I'm just not going to even try, yeah. you'll never get. But what I hear you saying is just like that small town Ravel, mm-hmm. that it was about relationships in yep. life that made that, that area great. That's right. That same yeah. principle can be applied to what we do on a daily basis Yes. to um, to be able to grow our city. So mm-hmm. let's move into crime real quick. Yep. I saw a um, a uh, uh, press conference that you guys just recently had. Was it last week? That's right. Um, and uh, I think it's great that, you know, the rest were made. But you know what I think is greater is the chief talking about the people are starting to get fed up. Mm-hmm. And oh, they've they're been fed up. Starting <laughs> yeah. to now communicate. Yep. And that made me smile at that point. Not yeah. that crime is, yes, we're fixing to conquer everything, but it's when mm-hmm. the people get fed up enough to where they're going to say, I've had enough. That's right. We can fix. Yes. Our crime problem. Yes. Because I don't think that they're, I'm not well versed in criminal law or how to police things, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's a there's any one thing that you could spend money on tomorrow mm-hmm. to fix crime in mm-hmm. any city. Yeah. It It's you're having to change hearts and minds and, mm-hmm. and for people to say that I've had enough. You're yeah. not going to do it in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do it in my front yard. If you do, I'm going to let somebody know about it. Yeah. I've, I've often said crime is a two sided coin. Um, First, you need to start talking about the current crime and violent criminals. Let's just take the low-hanging fruit. Let's get them off the streets. Yeah. I can show you instances where um, I can take somebody's rap sheet and it'll hit the front door, and they're still out. You know, PD is a poor, it has, a, has a part of the criminal justice system, but ultimately these violent criminals need to see some hard time, yeah. uh, especially repeat violent offenders. But I, I want to back up a little bit and, and, and talk about just – some challenges we face in PD. Let's just start there because they're the folks who who, who are going to go out and they're charged to protect our citizens right. every single day. We took over a police department that was uh, at its height. Um, their police force reduced close to 40 percent. Two million plus stripped out of their budget. Their morale was extremely low. Um, uh, some of my first few days in office were dealing with a police brutality cover-up. What kind of trust does that build in a community? That doesn't build trust. Not when... It's horrible. Not when those things are happening. So it's like, welcome to office. We've got great officers that are there. And look, I know that you can have Mm -hmm. bad apples in Mm -hmm. in really anything in life. That's right. But owning the mistake when it happens. That's right. When it happens, yes. When it happens, um, the accountability that comes along with Mm -hmm. it. I thought that that was handled very swiftly. Yeah. And um, yeah. We're, we're thankful for that. We've, and I, we've and learned, look, over the past 10 years, we've learned what not to do when it comes to instances of police brutality. Right. And so there, the, the guidebook was there. You just, you had to understand that what you, look, we had all kinds of examples through our country, yeah. you know, about how to handle these situations. 
it was a no-brainer. We got an office. We handled business, and it, it was expedient and swift. Um, but that goes back to building trust in your community that police are going to do the right thing, right? So, so the morale, I knew we had to find a police chief that would inspire folks. And, look, we, we, did, a, we did a national search. Uh, I had a committee formed, and I said, I don't want you to bring anybody to me. I want you all to whittle it down to my top four, and then you bring them to me. Uh, I wanted this to be a fair process. Um, Chief Zordon, I can already tell you, was the guy. He seemed like somebody that would lead from the front. He seemed like to be a man of integrity. Um, he wanted to be hands-on. I'm a hands-on person. He wanted to be hands-on, and he wanted to be out in the field with his people. I mean, he was a DEA field director. But that, but that matters. It matters, and it matters to your people. It does. Uh, when I go in my ride-alongs with PD, everybody knows, and I think they've. I, I think I've earned their trust to know that what they tell me in that unit does not get back to chief. I want to know because I am charged to give you proper leadership. Am I giving you proper leadership? Right. Um, the comments range from it's nice to have a chief who signs out from the field. Um, it's nice to have a chief when we go knock a door that he stacks up with us. Like that's those are things that I'm getting back from matters. officers. It matters that he's not asking you to do things that he hasn't done himself or will not be or won't do himself. Um, also, I'm hearing that whatever we ask chief, he gets us. One of them, the dive team needed a new boat. They said well, three weeks later, we were, I mean, we were shopping for a new boat, right? New equipment, um, little things like a beard policy helps morale. I mean, the little things like that, sure. um, it, it matters. And build that morale um, and how you same way when we talk about changing hearts and minds, we say you got to first change hearts and mouths. Now you speak about mm -hmm. your city. It's the same way about your leadership. Um, ton of work right now um, in uh, recruitment. Um, we've put over chiefs put over sixty something people through the academy. Doesn't mean all of them wind up staying as police officers. Some people get in the streets and go, "This ain't the life for me." Right, right? and we um, don't want them there if no, it's not right for them. That's right, and then. Um, but I think, you know, and recently I uh, see so you're going to see this on the news, so I don't think we're beating it to the punch, but you're going to see it that uh, the police union came out and brought the ballot directly to police. And for the first time in a long time, um, they've had a vote of confidence in their police chief, a solid vote of confidence in the police chief. So that makes me feel good to know that they have proper leadership, that they're now getting more applications in to be in the police force. Um, when your police are happy, it makes recruitment a whole lot easier. Absolutely. And it, it, the quality of work that we mm -hmm. get from the officers, you know, um, nationwide, there's a, um, a reluctance of um, uh, people going into law enforcement because they yeah. don't feel like they have the support mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. through their leadership. <laughs> yeah. um, I also agree at the same time, there has to be accountability, but yep. there has to be a, a balance with everything in life. Uh, yeah. So it's nice to know that they have the confidence in yeah. our chief and, well, let's. Let, I'd also like to talk a little bit about the kind of what I say the other side of that coin, and especially with youth. Um, you know, we're making investments in our parks and recreation. You know, to give children reasons to come and visit our rec centers. Yeah. We're in the middle of one of uh, cutting ribbon on one of the best e game esports game rooms at Emily P. Robinson. That was the number one requested thing from our our youth. Really. So when we design our youth programs we need to start designing rec centers that actually attract youth, right? And give them reasons to want to come there. 
It is awesome. I don't want to give too much away, but let's When's just that, tell you. When are y'all going to have that ribbon? Here in the done? next couple of weeks. We've, it's it's almost ready to roll. It's going to be awesome. My whole goal is to have uh, this in multiple rec centers. They each have their teams, and they go and have tournaments and this, sure. that, and the other. And then I'm, uh, ULM is in the process of building their eSports team. You, uh, Del- Louisiana Delta Community College has theirs. Right. And I would love them to come and interact with kids and play them in tournaments and have that go on That's within awesome. the city. I eventually see this as having businesses support and, and sponsor these teams. They get the shirts, the backpacks, the whole nine, and then have their teams travel and go and do tournament-style style things you know, around around our region. And I think it would be a great deal for our kids to see. So I don't think I'm getting ahead of anything right now. But um, from that to programming within our rec centers, um, to the investments in our rec centers, um, especially bringing on the Boys and Girls Club for after-school tutoring and mentorship – bringing in wraparound services like Ascent to come in and train our staff to help them with de-escalation techniques and uh, uh, conflict resolution so they can keep something that could, um, you know, um, a situation that may occur within the community, but they're at the rec center and they may get into it, how to train our staff to de-escalate those situations. Um, It's it's critical uh, to do that, but we have to continue to invest in that programming, working with our city schools, um, um, but continuing these offerings for our children um, well, in our community. I mean, I really think that's great. Um, I recently um, got certified to work as a CASA advocate, and hmm. <clears throat> I consider myself to be fairly active within the community, kind of mm-hmm. know um, yeah. a little bit of what's going on, but I was blindsided to the fact of the hopelessness mm. that we have in our community. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the one thing in life I've felt like I've taken the most for granted was the, um, uh, the the support, the family support that I have when things are not going right. Yeah. Someone that I can talk to or someone that can yeah. kind of pick me up. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but yeah. I, I, you know, middle class family, I had yeah. that support. And to see these kids or these young adults, mm-hmm. these young parents yeah. not have the support and to see someone lose hope or have mm-hmm. no hope, yeah, man, it's tough to be able to see that and to be able to hear that we're doing things within our community to invest in our youth mm-hmm. to give them some hope that yeah. I don't have to go home to no electricity and mm-hmm. live the same old, that I've got other active things that I can get involved in and mentors that can invest in my life. Oh, yeah. So. I, I attend municipal conferences around the country, and when I tell you that every city has that, you know, small subsection of people that that you're that will have that hopelessness, and it's po- it's poverty, and let's just call it it's it's poverty. It is generational poverty. It's what yeah. we're, we're what we're dealing with, and and we see it whether it's in um, Baton Rouge, whether it's in Shreveport whether it's in Monroe, Kansas City, St. Louis, you name it, Dallas, Austin, even your best that you say, oh, Austin, Texas, you're going to go into places in Austin where communities have not been invested in for ages and that people lose that hopelessness. And So the way a good friend of mine I've met, she is the first uh, black female president of the AIA, um, um, is Kimberly Dowdell, and she quotes – me and she talks about Monroe all the time and she says we have this thing that we say and say when you see beautiful you will feel beautiful right 
Meaning that if you go home after work, that. you go home after work, imagine this, and you walk into your house and it's turned upside down. How does that make you feel? Yeah, I, I believe it. Stresses you out, right? It does. And so when we drive through communities and we see abandoned homes and we see uh, rundown homes and we do this, it's it. how do you think people feel? Yeah. How do you think it makes them feel? And so that's why it was important to us to invest in these sidewalks and lighting and beautification efforts, right? That's why it's important for us to cont- have an aggressive code enforcement um, policy that goes in and takes derelict property owners uh, or homes that have been a nuisance for years and have them either torn down or work with quality housing folks to rehab those houses and put them back into housing stock. And that's why it's important. Um, I find it important that I bring my kids places uh, with me everywhere we go, uh, whether it's a flood situation and or heavy rains and I get – a yard rake, I always said a $12 yard rake would save communities because these storm drains get clogged up okay. with leaves or trash or debris. It's amazing what a plastic bag will do to a, uh, a, a drain. Covers the grates and then backs water up everywhere. And I take them with me to help rake these grates and to go out and do things because I need them to see communities that don't look like theirs and why it's important to serve your community, right? Yes. And serve people that may not have the resources like you. Um to come in and say, hey, look, and it, and it matters to people to see even the mayor get out there and unclog drains because, look, I can do everything on my cell phone. <laughs> but if they see the mayor out there doing yeah. it, you know, then it shows that, well, then why can't I? I read an article. Um, it's been a long time ago in Bayou Life. You had um, talked about a, um, a sergeant when you were in the mm-hmm. Marines. That Chris um, Garcia. Yeah. Yeah. And um, – just messaged him the other day. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know that was impactful when I when I read that. I mean, I still remember it to this day. You yeah. mentioned it, and, and you talked about how equipment. If I'm equipment failed, I'll tell you. Middle of the desert, yeah. we were running single mode fiber. It's one of my first projects in the Mojave Desert. A little old Friday Ellis from Ravel in the Mojave Desert of all places. It's like a surface temperature 110 degrees. Yeah. You could see heat radiating off of rocks. Okay. All of our equipment is hand-me-down army stuff, most of the stuff. We're at a logistics base, and we're trenching single-mode fiber, connecting the two bases, our admin to um, the workforce side. Uh, our equipment goes down. So here comes, you know, Stassar and Garcia coming in in the, in the duty truck, and he's got pallets of water, he's got a tent, and he's got pickaxes. And it's just like, all right, it's time to get to work. And we're just like, oh, man. So we're deblousing and getting ready to get in this hole Sergeant Garcia, Garcia jumps in there first. He beat us all to it, and he was the first person to swing that pickaxe. He didn't have to do it, but that was my first. That was my first taste of real leadership, meaning that I'm not going to ask you to do something because he knows that it was only four of us out there, and he knows that it, the mission still needed to happen. Because guess what? Um, he wasn't going to do anything he didn't expect us to do. He probably saw the looks on our faces as in like, oh man, this is going to be tough. But the energy he gave you guys by just jumping in there yes. first to do it. You see it. That's yeah. what you know. That's that's true leadership. Um, yes. uh, uh, the Marine Corps was littered with great leadership examples, right? My father was one of them, right? I, was, I have been blessed in my life to not have a lot of advantages, but the most strategic advantage I've ever had in life was to be raised by strong men and have strong women and a strong support group in my life of people that, like, showed me the way. And this is how you get things done. And these, this is this is 
strong men and women who have um, shaped me and molded me. And you don't look. There's. I'm gonna clean this up. There's a. There's a YouTube video out here. It says you think you need all these friends to get things done. Give me three strong people, yeah. and you can take over the world. Right. Yeah. You find people, and I and I heard someone say it more eloquently than this in Lafayette. A guy says, you find people who are significantly is motivated and significantly pissed off about something. He says, you can get things done because you're going to hit a wall eventually. But it's that passion that's going to help you break through break that through wall. wall. He said, you can stop a train with a pebble yeah. without momentum. But you build momentum, you can break through anything, right? And that's what you need. And slowly I felt like we've been collecting these people along the way, who see us, that know that we mean what we say, and that we may not always agree on things, yeah. but we know where, I know where this guy's heart is. I know where his team's heart is. I know they want the very best for this city, and we want to help them along the way. Now, that's not to say that there are, I don't care anything you do in life. Nick Saban said, hey, look, you want to please everybody, go sell lemonade, yeah. go sell ice cream. But even then, there are people that don't like that. It is my job to still serve them, but I'm not going to slow down because of them. I, but I will circle the wagons back, pick them up on the way back, because we have a short window. The city deserves good leadership, yeah. and 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 we have we have been in a drought. We've been in a hitting batting slump for a long time, and I hope people see they can feel the changes. I think the biggest. I think one of the big things I'm happy about is people. They, they said, I don't know what it is. I just, it feels different here. Well, the momentum, I mean, I think that, that many people can see it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not me saying we're going to take anything away from the accomplishments of those in the past. Mm-hmm. That's right. But sometimes you just, you got you to change the, the person at the top to be able to see something different. Yes. Or you will always be looking at the same thing. And if mm-hmm. we're always looking at the same thing, we're never going to make that yeah. as good as it can be. Yeah, Ashley has a great line, and she says it. She said it in her little video the other day, and it was the best thing ever. And she goes, you know, um, she was watching a, a motivational thing about, you know, the difference between a trailblazer and a trail manager. A trail manager is going to go down that same path, keep clearing that same path, yeah. right? But a trailblazer is going to cut new paths and a new way to get there and is not afraid to, you know, get cut up and scratched and scarred to get there to do what they need to do. But, you know, for so long we've had trail managers. But if you think about it, the trail blazers of our community are what set us apart, right? We can't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. We have to try something new. Mm -hmm. And with everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change, right? But with change, you're going to, you're going to rattle some cages. But as long as we're doing it ethically and as long as we're doing it honestly and as long as we're doing it uh, expediently, I think you, you that's why you see people going, man, this is fresh. It's new. It's it's. And again, I've, if I had to circle back around and do it again, yes, there are some things that I would do differently. I've learned in this that you can't you can't go alone. We say you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. Yeah. There are things that I, I've. As I've learned, you got to move at the speed of trust. Sometimes that does mean slowing down. Sure. Maybe not the project, but the wind-up, meaning how you build a project, right? Instead of presenting the project, we're ready to roll. Let me hear your thoughts and let's change. Yeah. Let's build it. Let's engineer it together from the ground and then 
introduce the project, right? Those are lessons you learn when you get in the office. In, but I think those are same lessons that you're going to learn in any business. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary Ellis, I just want to thank you for the time that you've given us today. Oh, yeah. Um, I think there's many in our community that see the momentum that's going. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't vote for you. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I can't champion what you're doing. I work yeah. in this city. We started this podcast because I believe in our community, yeah. and I want to spotlight the things that I feel make our community great. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in a long time, I think we're on the right path mm-hmm. as a region, as yes. a city, as a parish. Yeah. Uh, I got involved uh, probably more last year than I've ever been involved in of discussions of workforce management and mm. what yeah. you know how how do you how do you make a city grow, um, and didn't realize that. We got to back up a couple of generations uh, before we can really move forward with it. But yeah. through those discussions, mm-hmm. the thing that really kind of caught me off guard more than that is when people were saying that uh, our twin cities, Monroe and West Monroe, are working together mm-hmm. along with the parish yeah. and along with everyone in the region. I'm like, yeah. is that really happening? I had yeah. to ask a couple of people yeah. that I trust, yeah. is that really happening? Yeah. And to hear everybody say yes, and we're getting things done. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel great about the town I live in. Yeah. Already felt great about it, but it just makes it that much sweeter for me. Yeah. Um, I want our community to be able to hear and see that. So that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I wanted you to come talk to us today. But thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for giving us this time to just share yeah. a little bit about who you are and yeah. what your thoughts are on our community. Yeah. I want to thank you for bringing me on and to all the listeners here and people um, that have put their faith and trust in me. Um if you want to know what it's like, you know, people say, what's it like? Well, you know, tell me about being mayor. I tell them it's important. It's an important position. Um, it is a heavy responsibility uh, that I wake up every day and uh, ask my team when I get an opportunity, how, how'd you move the needle today, mm-hmm. right? How'd you move the needle? Um, and be always asking yourself, how did I move the needle today? And that's what we need to work on, right? And as community members, I, I look, Nobody is going, no one man or woman is going to save your community. Your community is relying upon you to make it what it is because you can live anywhere else in this country, but where you call home, if you're not trying to make it the best, then I encourage you to to find ways you can make it the best. And I just want to say um, thank you for this uh, responsibility that's been bestowed on me. I, I love what I do. I love the fact that that we get this opportunity to wake up every day and help people help our region. And, um, it's, man, I, I'm, I'm excited. I really am. I'm excited to know what the future is going to look like here in the next 10 years. And when my time's up, I want to sit back and know that, that, that selfish moment when I said, let's make this better for our children, for my kids, your kids, everybody's kids. And we can sit back and, and I want my kids to know that mom and dad did some pretty, pretty big, tough things, and sacrificed a lot to know that we wanted to, we did it all to help them provide and make a home here in Monroe. Um, and so, and be that example. So, um, again, thank you for this opportunity yeah. and, and, um, man, keep up the good work. <laughs> thank you, sir. Appreciate yep. it. Appreciate you. Yep. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this podcast. We really appreciate your involvement. Please leave us a comment or even better yet, subscribe to this podcast and hit that notification bell so that you can be alerted for every new episode when it hits.